we're continuing our series on uh, Messy Church. And um, I want you to realize something before we get started here. That uh, far beyond just promoting a, um, a book, that's, that's not what this is for. That's not why we're doing this. We're doing this because this, these are our core values that are in our pastor uh, placed there by the Holy Spirit and things that we are building this church on here in Austin. And so it's very important for all of us to realize and understand it. And another thing I want you to be aware of as we do this, as we continue to talk about these ideas and messy church, is that um, this is not a criticism or a critique of the church. I have heard some, uh, I don't know if you've heard Pastor Ross on any of the radio interviews that some of the he's been able to do because of the book, but uh, a lot of those interviewers will say things like this. They'll say, uh, we've got uh, Pastor Ross Parsley, who's written a book uh, called Messy Church, and uh, boy, that church sure is a mess, isn't it? And I'm thinking, what? That is not the goal or the message of this particular book or these ideas. This is not us or um, Pastor Ross saying, boy, the, the church in our nation is a total wreck and a mess, and so we just got to fix it. Now, I know there are issues and things that, that need to be addressed, and I, I get all of that. But this title, Messy Church, is so much greater than that. Because I think really what we're saying here is, if the church is functioning the way that it should, less like an organization and more like a family, if it's healthy and strong and being as it should, it's going to be a little bit messy. And we should embrace it, know it, accept it, live in it, love it, and help it continue to be so. And so, so this, these are kind of the ideas. And I want to make sure that as we go through it, that you're aware of that. You know, I don't want to be one of the people that says, of the church, that says, um, boy, it's really, it really is a mess. That, that bride of Christ, I, I don't know. I don't know if that was a good idea. What a disaster. I, listen, I don't know about you, but if anybody was to say those kinds of things about my bride, we'd go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. I don't care how big you are or how small I am. <laughs> We're going to go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And I don't want to be the one that says those kinds of things about the bride of Christ. Because most often what we're saying is, we're not saying, oh, that church, oh, the church, uh, big C, church is a wreck. Most of the time what people are saying, and I think this language is important for us to remember. It's not the church. The church is God's idea, everybody. The church is what he instituted to bring change and transformation. So this is a good thing, and he is the head of the church. So what we're saying most often is, boy, people are a mess. Because what happened was the church, he instituted the church, and then we fill it up with people. And as soon as we fill it up with people, exactly. <laughs> and so, thank you, Dad. Uh, and so, so uh, point number two is, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so... Welcome to summer at one chapel, I guess. It's a little freewheeling. So, um, so anyway, I wanted that to be very clear as we, uh, as we get started this morning. And um, I want to take just a moment and pray, and then we'll kind of dig into the scriptures here for the next few minutes. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we want you to know that we, we are your bride. 
And we love being that. We love the church. We love your church. And it is our desire to be the pure and spotless bride that you designed for us to be. So God, teach us and train us through your word today and help us to be that. We love you. Father, speak through me the words of life and help everyone in here to hear the things that they need to hear today to be more like you and to accomplish what you've called them to do. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had to do something that you felt completely unprepared for? Have you ever been thrown into that type of a role? I know that I certainly have. I, I remember when I was a, uh, a young pastor, and most of you are saying, when I was a young pastor? <laughs> I'm 37 now. I mean, it's starting to happen, okay? But when I was a younger pastor... Uh, and I got started at a church in Colorado, the church that sent us here. We had this little system over the weekends, and we called it the POC pager, the pastor on call pager. And so uh, I don't know if any of you still carry, does anybody carry a pager still? Do, do, do you all know what pagers are? <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> many of the younger folks in the room are like, what's he talking about? I don't know. But we, we had a pager that we would carry it. One pastor would carry it, and we would um, put it on and carry it through a, a week. It was kind of assigned to us so that when the offices were closed down, should anyone in the church have some sort of emergency, they could call in, call that number, and we could get a page, and we could respond to that as it was necessary. So it was for emergency situations. So this is my first time. I just got started. I'm very green. I'm very excited. I'm very pumped to be a part of this church. And so uh, I'd been there, I don't know, it was just several months. And so uh, it's Friday evening. It's about 4.30, getting ready to actually go up to Denver for a youth conference. I was about to get in the car and leave. And and suddenly it happened. Bzz, bzz, bzz. That's what they did. And so I'm thinking, ooh, my first POC page. My first pastor on call page. This is very exciting for me. And so uh, I I went and I I got into my office and I dialed the number that was on the pager. And uh, someone answered. And and, and for my very first call as a young pastor, here's what that person said. They said, "Uh, hi, uh, you don't know me and we don't go to your church, but I have a couple of friends. And right now they're in a hotel in another city here in the mountains. And um, they're having some issues. And they said uh, they're actually preparing to take their own lives. And I thought, well, this is terrible. What, well, what's happening? What's happened to them? And, and they said, well, they're experiencing several weird things. Uh, number one, they, they're, um, they're, they're hearing like screaming in their home all night long. Thought, and, it, and it's not them. And I thought, well, that's not good. And they said, uh, and, and apparently um, the, the one of them is like bleeding out of their hands nonstop. And I thought, well, that's worse. And then, and then they're saying that if they take baths, there's like flies and tar and things left over in the bathtub. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> and so, so what we're wondering is, would you mind going up to that hotel room and just stopping by to visit with them and talk with them for a few moments? 
to which I, I said, let me call you back. I'm going to call you back. And so I hung up that phone and I went to a much older and more seasoned pastor and said, what am I supposed to do? Will you go? And of course, he said, no, I'm not going in there. And so uh, he coached me on how to handle that scenario. I did not go and uh, walk into that situation. We handled it another way and um, took care of those people the best that we knew how. But um, I can tell you from that experience, I was not prepared to do that. And there have been many times in my life where I have not been prepared to do the things that God has called me to do. And yet... Some people took a risk on me anyway to allow me the opportunity to do those things. Today what we're talking about is called uh, learning while leading. Learning while leading. You know, I've found uh, through my experience thus far in my life that leaders are often concerned, be it in business, be it in church, no matter where, they're often concerned about letting the younger or less experienced generation of people get out and lead and do the things that they're supposed to do. It's very limiting for what's supposed to happen within a church, within an organization, and there's lots of reasons for this, aren't there? I mean, if you think about it, there's lots of reasons to say, no, not yet. You're not ready yet. Let's just hold off for just a minute. Um, let's talk about some of those reasons. Not enough training. You know, there just hasn't been enough yet. And, and most of the time that really amounts to not enough information. Not enough information given to you so that you just know enough to be able to do the things that you're supposed to do. And, and that's a valid concern. Oftentimes it's guarded reputation. Uh, and, and, and again, those may be valid concerns. I mean, we're concerned about uh, God's reputation in our city from just sending some young guy out to do a bunch of stuff. I understand that. Or maybe it's the church's represent, uh, uh, reputation that pastors are concerned about. Maybe it's the pastor's own reputation that he's concerned about or the business leader's own reputation that he's concerned about. And so he says, no, I, I don't think I'm going to send you just yet. Other times, it's, it's less sinister. It's uh, maybe just out of genuine concern for, for that person. I'm concerned about you. I don't want you to fail. I want you to be okay. I don't want you to mess things up. I don't want you to be embarrassed. So there's an issue of responsibility. There's an issue of stewardship. Uh, there's an issue where it can just be too dangerous and too messy. And I understand that. Likewise, on the other side, for all of us who are learning to lead currently and who are working to become all that Jesus wants us to be, oftentimes it's not just someone who's withholding permission for us to go out and do what we're supposed to do. It's us who's withholding and saying, no, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I'm ready yet. We feel inadequate. We feel like we don't have the talents, the abilities, the capabilities, or again, the information to do what we're supposed to do. So we stop short and we don't go. We're concerned about our own reputation, our own failures. Uh, we don't want to embarrass anyone, namely ourselves. We don't want to embarrass those who are training us and helping us by instructing us. And oftentimes we just don't have the time or the energy 
to do what we feel like we're supposed to do. Now, I've noticed a couple things about these two positions that I'm talking about. Nothing gets done. Whether you're on the side of the leader who says, no, you're just not ready yet. Or you're on the side of the one who's uh, being called to go out and lead. And you say, no, nah, I just don't think I can. Nothing gets done. And there is much, everybody, to be done in our culture, in the kingdom of God, in our city. There are people that need Jesus. There are people that need life and help and healing. There are people that need joy. There are people that need what the Spirit of God has put inside of you. And they are desperate to receive it. Some of them don't even know it yet. But they're desperate to receive something. And you have it. Now, I'm not advocating this morning that we just, in ignorance, decide, hey, let's send everybody and anybody out whenever. Give them a couple words of wisdom and then say, hey, here you go. Have a good time. Don't screw it up. Nor am I saying that I think we should just give them the, the bare minimum of information and then send them out simply because the need is great. Although the need is most certainly great. Here's what we do know. We do know that Jesus chose 12 young men that were not necessarily the brightest in the class. And he chose them to transform the world. He chose these 12 young men to be the beginning of all that we know and do and experience today. So today we're going to talk just a little bit about how this works and to learn while we lead. And so we're going to go to Luke chapter 9. So if you got your Bibles, turn there. Uh, you can also follow along if you want to. If you've got a smartphone, you go to version and open up that app and you can search for one chapel and you can find some of the notes in there. Uh, or you can go through the One Chapel app if you have that on your phone, and you can follow along there as well in message notes. But in Luke 9, chapter 1, sorry, Luke 9, verse 1, here's what it says. 1 through 6 says, um, here, let me read it here, actually. Luke 9, 1 says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. And if people do not welcome you, leave their town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and they went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, this is a really incredible thing. I mean, they'd been walking with Jesus for a certain amount of time so far. They'd seen him do some miraculous things. And here he says to them, I'm going to give you the authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick. I'm going to give you the power to go do miraculous things. And I want you to just go out and do them. He wasn't with them. He wasn't journeying with them at the time. He said, you go out and do it. And so they did. They all left. They went out and they began the work. And they did a whole bunch of miraculous things. And then they all come back together. Scripture says here in, uh, as it continues on in chapter 9. And it says, they came back and reported the things that had happened. 
So there were many things that went on that were great and wonderful things. They probably had some great times. They probably had some difficult times. They probably had some great rewards. They probably had some great failures. But they came back to report everything that happened. So you think, oh, this is great. How wonderful. They're doing a really good job for the kingdom of God. But notice what happens after this. As you read through the chapters, you continue to go, you find out, well, maybe the disciples weren't quite as put together as we initially thought. Because briefly, let me just roll through some of the things that happen in the rest of this particular chapter. In verses 10 through 13, it talks about the feeding of the 5,000. And so in the feeding of the 5,000, the, the disciples come to Jesus and say, listen, you've been teaching, you've been preaching, but you know what? It's getting late. They're hungry. Just send them away. Send them away. Get them out of here. Just, we don't need to deal with all this anymore. Just send them away and let them take care of stuff, and maybe we can meet up later. And Jesus looks at them, and he says what to them? He says, no, 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 no. We're not going to send them away. You give them something to eat. What? I never... We never thought about that, really. Okay, well, they learned something there in that moment. As you continue on, you see that uh, Peter, James, and John, they go up with, with Jesus on the mountain in verses 28 through 34. And here they, they see this transfiguration that happens. And they see Moses and Elijah. They see him talking there with Jesus in this awe-inspiring, incredible moment. And Peter, God bless Peter. You have to love Peter. Thank God for Peter. He makes me feel so good about me. And Peter, Peter, the scripture records, hey, uh, listen, uh, 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 this is incredible. Well, we, we, let us build memorials. Let us build some tents, and we'll build three of them, and you can all stay in one. We'll just stay up here, and it'll be great. And the Bible even records, now think about this, the Holy Spirit breathing through, Bible, through the Bible authors says this, says, he did not know what he was saying. Poor Peter. I mean, he can't catch a break. Holy Spirit says, yeah, he didn't know what he's talking about. Pretty clear indicator that he didn't quite have it all together just yet. Then it, later on, 37 through 40, they could not free a boy who was demon-possessed. Continue down the chapter, verses 46 through 48. They're arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. These guys are prideful and arrogant, trying to say, oh, I want to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. Keep going. In verses 49 through 50, they start saying, hey, we ran across somebody who was casting out demons in your name. So you'll be so proud of us because you know what we did? We told them to stop it. They're not part of our group. So we said, hey, knock it off. And Jesus said, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? They're bringing freedom to other people in my name. If they're not against you, they're for you. They're working with me. They hadn't learned everything they needed to know yet. And then finally, really my favorite, in verses 51 through 55, they're on their way to Jerusalem, and they're, they're going to stop through a Samaritan village. And so they, as they stop and try to make some preparations for Jesus to come through, they are opposed by the people in that village because they don't want them there. And so they come back and say, hey, listen, they were opposing us, and so we, we actually, we, we, we didn't get the arrangements made, but you want us to, would you like us to call down fire on them? We're going to call fire down, just like Elijah, we're going to call fire down on them, and we're going to burn them up. We're going to incinerate those people, right? Would you like that? Jesus, you want that? That would be great, right? Like I said, 
they are not the sharpest in the class. And yet, he had already given them miraculous power and authority to do the work. This should be an encouragement to every one of us as we're trying to figure out how to serve God. The disciples were ambitious. They were untrained. But incredibly, Jesus gave them the power and the authority to do the same things that he did. He let them do miraculous work. As you read on and you see other passages of Scripture, you see like in Acts 4.13 after um, they'd healed a blind man. Sorry, not a blind man, but a crippled beggar. They'd healed this guy. And so they had been, they'd gotten in a lot of trouble being arrested. They're standing before the high priests and other religious leaders of the day answering to what had just happened. And it says, it says in uh, Acts 4.13, it's familiar to most of us, but it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, the things that they're saying because they just preached this message and given them the gospel story, when they see the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Everybody, I think this is the issue. They had been with Jesus. Again, I'm not saying check your brain at the door and just go do whatever you feel like you can do, uh, blowing around on the wind of the Spirit, just hoping for the best. I do think we need training. I do think we need leadership. I do think there needs to be some starting point. But we should not sit around and wait for six months, nine months, a year, until we get all the information settled and right so we're able to say everything perfectly and do everything perfectly. It's okay to be with Jesus and to start the work. The issue here, I think, is relationship. The key is that they had been with Jesus. And they were with Jesus. So here's what I would say to you. Relationships, then, are the key for all of us to serve, to lead, and to advance God's kingdom. Our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with others. This is the key to allowing all of this to work. Let me tell you a little bit about what this means. Because I think we are able now to follow the example of Jesus and to allow those of us who are not perfect or would consider ourselves not the sharpest or brightest in the class to be able to do what Jesus did. Living in relationship allowed all of this. And here's why. First thing, because Jesus shared his life and experiences with the disciples. Jesus was sharing his life and his experiences with the disciples. As we read through Luke chapter 9, we see they're traveling from place to place together. We see they're dealing with and interacting with crowds together. We see that they're eating meals together. We see they're climbing mountains together. And all along the way, Jesus is teaching and training and instructing. He's doing it all as they're in these relationships together. He didn't separate life and ministry training. He didn't segment them. He didn't say, as we so commonly do, well, here's my work life. And this is my church life. This is where I go make money for my family. And this is where I get trained up to do the work. No, it's all together. 
it's time for us to stop segregating the secular and the sacred and allow them to come back together. Because this is what I really think is true. I think it's true that Jesus didn't come for this area or this area or this area. He came to transform and be the Lord of all of life, all of our life. So we then have to work, and it's hard work, to integrate and to put back together the secular, the sacred, and allow him to be that, to be the Lord of all, to not continue to separate them. You know, there's a, there's a book that I read. It's called um, For Men Only. And it's written by uh, Shanti and Jeff Feldhahn, I think is their last name. Some of you may have read it. And it's, uh, it's a very interesting book. It's, it's called For Men Only, and it's written for women to somewhat understand the mind of man. There's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a book much like it called For Women, uh, sorry, I get so confused. Yeah, For Women Only. And so this, yeah, for women only is for women to understand the mind of man. For men only is to understand the mind of women. <laughs> Good luck, everybody. <laughs> of course, for men only, uh, well, that's understanding the mind of women, and so that's a volumes set, right? <laughs> On the other hand, the one for the ladies to understand the men, that's like a, it's like a pamphlet. It's a, <laughs> you read it in an afternoon, you're, you're going to be fine. You'll be all right. But uh, there's a little bit of truth to that. But, uh, but in this book, it's interesting. They, they present this idea that, that women, uh, women uh, think about a, a PC. Think about windows on a PC. Think about all the windows that you can open up and all the different spaces that you can have open all the time. So guys, they open up those spaces too, and, and, and when they need to, they can shut them down. I'm going to X that out. We're done with that. I'm going to X that. Here's work. I'm going to X that. I'm going to go home and be a family. My family window is open. Guys are real good in general, not everybody, but in general, they propose in this book that guys are pretty good at shutting things down. It's why a guy can have a terrible day at work, close it down when he gets home at 530 and say, hey, family, how's it going? And a lot of times be okay. But what they propose is, is that in this book that women have a much more difficult time doing that. That women will try to X that thing out, but whenever they hit the X, it just kind of moves on them. And they end up minimizing. So the windows never actually close. They just stay open. They might go down to the bottom of the screen, but they're still open. It's why women have this. So they've got this whole picture that they see of life all the time. So where a guy can say, boy, this area of my life is really a wreck. I'm going to close that thing down right now. We'll deal with that tomorrow. Ladies say, I'm going to close that part of my life down and think about this. Click, minimize, and it's still there. They're still thinking. It doesn't go away. I propose to you that we should stop treating our Christian life as the guys do and just trying to close it down. I'm going to close this area. I'm going to close this area. I'm going to close that area. Oh, now it's time for church. Open the church window. Receive the training. Close the church window. Now it's time for golf and nap window. Ah. But instead, maybe we should approach it more like the ladies in general approach this thing. Where it just kind of all stays. It's all open. It's all together at once. 
everything, all of life, secular and sacred. And Jesus is Lord of all. And you share your life and experiences together. Share your life and experiences with Jesus. I read this tweet this week, and it said, it was from C.S. Lewis. Well, it wasn't actually from him. He, uh, he doesn't tweet that much anymore. But someone tweeted on his behalf, and uh, not that he shared that with them, but you know what I mean. Said, uh, stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's real life. They are precisely one's life. So we should work then to integrate all the pieces of our lives and allow Jesus to be Lord of all of it. Because spiritual formation happens in real time. Spiritual formation happens in real time, second by second, moment by moment, ups, downs, goods, bads. It's all part of what Jesus wants to do to help us know how to, learn, how to lead and learn at the same time. It doesn't happen in just a moment. It doesn't magically appear one day. Oh, I'm spiritually formed and now mature. It doesn't happen like that. In the midst of life and struggles and joys and pains, experiences, this is how we're becoming who he wants us to be. Second idea is this. In the midst of relationship, learning, uh, learning while leading, Jesus didn't avoid the risks of failure or mistakes. He didn't avoid them. He wasn't concerned about them. This is probably the biggest reason why we don't do this. Why we don't learn and lead at the same time. It's risky. You know, one thing that I find very encouraging for all of us is that we're all going to fail. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad you came to church today? We are all going to fail sometime. I'm going to fail. You're going to have failures. It's just going to happen. We all will. We all do sometime. And failures, though, are part of how we learn. It's not our successes that teach us the great lessons of life. We're too busy basking in our own greatness, thinking about all the great things that God did. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? And rarely do we stop to think, oh, God, thank you for the success that we had here. Now, why did that happen? We rarely do that. It's not our successes, not our successes that teach us the most valuable lessons. It's our mistakes. It's in our mistakes that we learn how not to do the things that we've done previously. It's when we make those mistakes that we get up and brush ourselves off and say, I'm not going to do that again. Next time I will do it differently. Jesus isn't afraid of your mistakes. He already knows that you're going to make them. I think it's a non-issue with him. He already knows, and he's already provided for you. He's already given you grace to stand up again and say, I can do this again because Jesus is with me. There's really no excuse for us. The enemy wants to use all of your failures, all the things that you do wrong. He wants to use it to get in, to twist your mind, to cause you to think back and say, oh, no, no, I can't do it. He wants to wreck your confidence and have you say, look, I tried. I did that. I went for it. I launched out. I tried to do a connect group. It didn't work. I failed. I can't do it again. Yes, you can. You can do it. You brush yourself off and you go again. 
because Jesus is not afraid of your failure. And he wants to use your failures to bring you hope, to bring you strength, to bring you confidence to do it again. This is why these relationships are so important. The third thing is, Jesus gave consistent feedback and instruction. He gave consistent feedback and instruction. And this is really frightening to us. This is the part that we don't like so much. And oftentimes it's because we've not been given proper feedback or instruction, given in love to us. We've received it other ways. We've received it from people out of criticism. Or we've received some backhanded compliments. Have you ever gotten any of those? Well, you weren't nearly as bad as that today as you normally are. Wow, thanks. I feel so much better having heard that. Or other times it's just been downright abusive, the feedback that we've been given. You can't do it. You're no good. You don't have the ability. In fact, you know what? Some of you, some of you are still, still playing the tapes from parents, and grandparents, and people through the years who have said those kinds of things to you. You can't. You won't. You're not able. Those tapes must be broken. Allow Jesus today to kill those tapes, to put new tapes in you, to say, yes, you can, because I live in you, because I am with you, because I'm in relationship with you, and you can. The feedback that he gives is honest, yes. It's direct, yes, but it's always loving. Maybe with the exception of Peter occasionally. That whole get thee behind me Satan thing was pretty rough. But, uh, <laughs> but, but other than that, it's loving, loving, care given. We got to realize that correction done well is a positive and not a negative. It's a good thing for us. It's not a negative. Stop trying to hide from it. Stop trying to avoid it. So, no, 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 I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. Don't tell me how bad I am at that. Don't tell me how I need to improve that. Listen, that's the only way that we learn. But you've got to be convinced that it's going to be done in love by the people that you're in relationship with. You've got to become convinced. That's why I love this church. I love what's being created here through the Spirit of God. I love that Pastor Ross is listening to the Holy Spirit and creating a body of believers that speak the truth in love. The art of making disciples is found in healthy feedback. Healthy feedback. Giving it and receiving it. And unless we get used to that, we're never going to be able to do all the things that Jesus has called us to do. We've got to be prepared. Is it really feasible that you should know it all anyway? Is it really feasible that you should be an expert in all things? No, absolutely not. Should we really be so embarrassed when somebody says, Hey, listen, I want to help you out here. You did a great job here. You probably could have done this a little bit better, and you might have been able to do it this way. All right? Let me show you how I would have done that or how I might have said that. And next time, you got this. Should we really be embarrassed or afraid of that? No. We don't know it all. Jesus knows we don't know it all. So Jesus 
in this relationship with the disciples, he was able to allow them to learn while they lead because they were in constant relationship with one another. Now, as you rise to the challenge to do these things, the enemy's going to try to come at you with just a few lies and myths. And I want to share them with you very briefly as these guys come up this morning. Come on back, guys. I know it's going to be a little bit distracting, but just roll with me here for these three quick ideas. Myth number one that the enemy is going to try to throw at you is that the Christian life is for the spiritually elite. The Christian life is for the spiritually elite. That discipleship is just for spiritual novices, people who don't know anything, or for people who know it all. Ooh, that guy, he's a major superhero of spirituality. He must be ready for real discipleship. He's ready for the next level. It's not true. The Christian life is for all of us, everybody. Discipleship, or what I'll call today learning while leading, it is for everybody who will deny themselves, for everybody who will take up their cross daily, for everybody who will follow Jesus. It is for you. The second myth that you'll be handed is that ministry is for pastors. It's for pastors. Ministry is for the pastors to do. It's not for me. Couldn't be farther from the truth. In fact, there really is, you, you could make the case that it's almost the opposite. That real ministry is for you to do. Because it's the job of pastors and apostles and evangelists to equip and to train and release people to do what God has called them to do. Ephesians 4 is where we find that. 4 verse 11 says, So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, and that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Ministry is for you, and it's for you to do today. The third and final thing is this. The myth that you'll be told is, look, you're too old or too young to be used by God. No, you're not. Or fill in the blank with anything else. I'm too this to be used by God. I'm too that to be used. I'm too sinful. I'm too rebellious. I'm too... I, I'm not talented enough. I don't have what it takes. I can't be used by God. It's not true. 
Can I encourage you today? Stop it. Stop it. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy that will try to convince you that it's too soon for you to do something. It's too soon for you to lead. Or that you had your go. You're kind of over the hill now. You're, you're probably done. It's not true. Stop it. In fact, last night as I was praying over this, I just felt the Holy Spirit say to you, it's not me. I just feel like you need to hear it. I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to you, stop it. He wants to use you with all of your shortcomings, with all of your issues, with all the stuff. Does he want you to stay like that? No. Has he given you the grace to work through it? Yes, he has. If you remain with him, you work through it. And great things will happen for the kingdom of God. Bow your heads and close your eyes. God's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for people. He's not looking for great ability. He's looking for availability. Those who will say, I'm available. I'm trying. I'm processing through. And I, I want to go. I just don't have it all figured out yet. But I'm available. And I'm ready to commit to relationship with you. Where you can give me the feedback that I need. And people around me can do the same. I'm ready to risk the failures that I will most likely have. I'm ready to share my life and my experiences. I'm ready for these things. He's looking for those people, and those people are in the room today. Nobody's going to be perfect. This is why it's quote-unquote messy. So very quickly, some of you have hesitated. You've hesitated in your own life because you feel like I just can't. You've bought into the myths. You've been too concerned. Stop it. It's time to go. People need you. The kingdom of God must advance. And you are the one that God has called to do it. We all are. So maybe today you're one of those and, and you'd say, uh, Brent, I, yeah, that, that is me. I'm not doing it because I'm fearful. I have anxiety. I just, I realize today I'm called. I'm chosen. I can. It won't be perfect. There'll be messes made. But I want to say yes to Jesus. And I want to lead. I want to go. And whatever that means, whatever God calls me to, I want to say yes. Would you just lift your hand up high real quick? Okay, yep, 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 yeah, all over, yeah. Others of you are in another place where you're saying, listen, I, I'm trying to train a bunch of people to do that, I, but I, I've been nervous. I don't want to release them. I don't, I'm scared of what they're going to do to my, repu my, rep my reputation. I, I don't want them to represent me poorly. 
I think in the same way the Spirit of God may say to you today, stop that. It's not your reputation that you should be guarding. And he's got the rest of it taken care of. This morning, I think there's encouragement to you today to let it go. And, and, and finally, for some of you, you may today be the one who says, well, you're talking about this works because of a relationship with Jesus. And I don't have one of those. But all day long, I just sense there's a something in this room. And, and I can tell you this morning that God loves you. And he loved you enough to send his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. To let his body be broken, his blood shed. To pay the penalty for your sin and rebellion. So that you could come to the Father. You could be restored to a right relationship with God Almighty. Some of you today can make that decision. You can make it right now. And if that's you with everybody's eyes closed and everyone's head bowed, I wonder if you'd say, Brent, that is me. I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to start a relationship with Jesus. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want you to raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Would you lift your hand today and say, yes, that's me. I want to start a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, great. Awesome. I see that. Anybody else? Anybody else? I want to enter into relationship with Jesus. Or maybe it's just that you need to come back again. You've wandered away. And you need to say yes again. I want to sign up again. I want to recommit. I want to go again. I want to say yes to being in relationship. Anybody else? Just lift your hand up quickly. Great. I'd like to invite you all, everybody across the room, to say this prayer with me. Nothing particularly special about this prayer. Just a confession, a renunciation of our, our old ways and a, a commitment to our life in God and a belief in Him. And He's going to help us to do this. And then I'm going to pray for you. So everybody all over the room, say this after me. Say, Jesus, I want you. I want to serve you. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to do what you want me to do. I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again. I believe you paid the penalty for all of my sins. And I say yes to you. Help me. Heal me. Help me to follow you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for everyone who prayed that prayer for the first time. God, I ask that you would seal that up in them in the name of the Lord Jesus. And help them as they continue on the next steps. And for everyone who today lifted their hand to say, I'm committing now to live my life. Committing now to relationship. I'm committing now to follow and to serve and to do what you've called me to do. To learn and lead. Trusting in you to help me. And give me your grace to sustain me. God, do that in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for the encouragement today in Jesus' name.